Well, today I get the privilege of preaching a message that I have preached many times. I've actually preached this sermon on every continent except Antarctica, all right? And someday I hope to go there and preach this so I could say I preach it on every continent. And uh, I realize that there are thousands of people in our church that have not heard this message. And it really is one of those ones that kind of defines a little bit of who we are and what we believe and what we're about. And uh, I want to share this with you. And uh, the, the title of the sermon is called Grandma's Tattoo. And uh, they said we could do it as part of a thing called Inked, which maybe could lead to other sermons on tattoos, although I'm hoping there's not a revolution of tattoos. How many know what I'm talking about? And the dads of all the teenagers said, amen. But I will tell you this, I was surprised when my mom came to me a few years ago and she said, you have to take me to get a tattoo. Now you can imagine, my mom is asking me to go get her, I, I thought I was being punked. I thought the staff had punked me, you know? And I thought, no, no, there's no way. You're not gonna go get a tattoo. And she's like, no, seriously, I need to get a tattoo. And, and I'm thinking, there's no way, not my mom. And if you don't know my mom after this sermon, you will, all right? My mom, old school, old school, old school. When she got saved, she got radically saved. I mean radically saved, so much so that uh, she's like, don't ever deny Jesus. Whatever you do, don't ever deny Jesus. And I'm like, okay, I'm a little boy. I'm going to school, first day of school. And uh, my mom says, now, okay, when you go to school today, stand up for Jesus. I'm like, I got it, I got it. She's like, even if they want you to, to deny Christ, don't do it. I'm like, I won't do it, I won't do it. She said, even if they want to cut your tongue out, let them. First day of school, I'm like, do they do that to kids? You know, like, is that what they do? And, you know, so I went to school and they're like, hi, I'm Rob, you know. I, serious, I mean, we, we were laughing the other day, we were reading our devotions and it was Luke 9. And she said, I think we're the only people on the planet that read Luke 9 about, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you and laugh because we realize the story that goes to your kindergarten year of going to school. But this is my mom, I mean, again, Old school, old school, don't deny Christ. If you're going to stand up for Jesus, you are going to stand up for Jesus. And uh, I mean, there are no tattoos permitted in our family. She was like, you are going to stand up for Jesus. You are, uh, I'll never forget this. Um, my mom, again, going with the I am not ashamed, that was my mom. She was like, you are going to stand up for Jesus. We are, I mean, she'd pray over us as we're going to school. If she didn't have anointing oil, how many know she'd spit on her hand and anoint us? I, that was mom, okay? And one day she came up to me, she said, I bought you a button that is so great, you can wear this to school. And I was like, a little worried. And she said, it's a button and, and it's, it has, that, has this leather necklace thing and it, you can hold, how many at that moment? I'm just like, no, mom, no. And she goes, you could wear it to school. And it was a button and it had this guy and, it, and he was like holding his hand up like that. And it said, I'm a Jesus people. And she's like, you could wear that to school and not be ashamed of Jesus. And I was like, no, mom, no. She's like, if you are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you on judgment day. And so I'm like wearing that button to school. <laughs> it's true, true story. I show up at school and the teacher's like, hey, Robbie, what's the, I was like, I I'm a Jesus person. I love Jesus. I'm not ashamed. And I got the button on. This is a true story. This is true. Some of you have a greater appreciation for my mom right now. And, and she's like, oh, you're Jesus people. I'm like, yep, Jesus people. Halfway through the day, this guy comes up to me and he goes like, hey, uh, hey I just, just want to let you know that I'm a Christian too. And I go, do you want to wear the button? 
And he's like, no, man, dude, no. And I was like, hey, if you are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of you. And he wore the button the second half of the day. I'm just telling you, that's the true story. True story. That's my mom. So it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, salvation to everyone who believes. That's her old school, no tattoos. No, no. I mean, she'd say like, seriously, she was so sold out for Jesus. She used to say, um, I want you to marry a Christian young lady. Um, if you don't marry a Christian young lady, I will not go to the wedding. I will go to the reception, but I will not go to the wedding. I mean, that's the way we were raised. Okay. So she comes in, she's like, I need a tattoo. I'm thinking I'm being punked and there's no way that this is real. And then she starts to cry. That gets my attention. She starts to cry, and she's like, no, no, you don't understand. I've got to get this tattoo. And, and I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? She said, i got to have this tattoo. Um, you know, I'm a widow. You know, I, 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 everyone that I know knows that I love Jesus. I, I've exhausted all my contacts. They all know that I love Jesus. I've stood up for him my whole life. Everyone in my senior building knows I love Jesus. And I just, God has been so good to me. If I don't talk about Jesus, I'm going to die. She said, I just, I, I just want to die if I don't talk about Jesus. And I want to get this tattoo to talk about Jesus. I want to have a tattoo that people will talk to me and, and, and share and, and ask questions. And then I'll be able to talk about the one that's done so much for me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I mean, you know, she wants a tattoo. It's for Jesus. And I don't know what to do because I don't know if I should do the tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. I've, uh, I've never been, you know, one for tattoos. And, and then I found John chapter 2 where Jesus is, you know, at the wedding. And his mother says, you know, these people ran out of wine. Do something. And he goes, it's not my time. And his mom said, do something. And then Jesus says, okay. So I thought if he had to obey his mom, I had to obey my mom too. <laughs> That's the best I could come up with, all right? So I take her to the tattoo parlor. And they think I'm there, like I need my mom to sign off for it or something. You know, they don't know. I'm like, no, it's for her, you know. And she goes and gets her tattoo, and I couldn't believe it. She gets a tattoo. And how many want to see a picture of my mom uh, getting her tattoo? All right, go ahead, throw the picture up. This is the picture of my mom with Viper. The guy's name is Viper. Getting your tattoo, go ahead, show a close-up of her tattoo on her wrist. This is the tattoo, it's I-B-T-J. So she's got this tattoo, she's getting her tattoo. All right, so if you're wondering what that stands for, I-B-T-J stands for I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. So she wants to have this tattoo, and she, as soon as she gets her tattoo, I mean, she no sooner gets the tattoo and gets out of the chair. There are three people waiting for tattoos that I'm sure were not Jesus tattoos. And she says, this is my first tattoo. Do you know what it stands for? And they're like, ah. She goes, I belong to Jesus, to you, to you, to you. I mean, just like that. All right. Now, she doesn't know that, and she's in the service here today. She doesn't know that we're going to do this. But what we've done, uh, many times when I'm preaching this message, people will actually take marker and draw IBTJ on their wrist. So we went and did this. We just got little temporary tattoos for you. And on the way out, you can join the IBTJ club. And uh, so 
you peel it, you put it on, you make it wet, you let it sit there for 60 seconds, rub it, peel it off, and it's there for a couple of days, and uh, you can join that. And if you do that, will you put it out on Instagram and Twitter and just let people know on Facebook that I belong to Jesus. Let's take the advantage of this and use this as an outreach for this opportunity. So she does this, and as she's going around having people guess, and by the way, if you do ask people to guess, make sure they guess appropriately. One person went up to her, and she said, do you know what this stands for, IBTJ? And the person's like, I've been to jail? You know, so, I mean, just make sure they get IBTJ, okay, all right. <sighs> but here's the thing. My mom went and got a tattoo, and again, I, you know, don't, don't get all mad if people get tattoos, but she said, I'm getting a tattoo because if I don't talk about Jesus, I'll die. I'll die. Like, Jesus has been so good to me. If I don't talk about him, I'll die. Like, I just gotta share how good he was to somebody that didn't know that they could receive grace and mercy and that I didn't have to work for salvation. He'd give it to me as a free gift. I just got to talk about the one that I love so much. And here she is saying, I've got to get a tattoo. And my question to us as a church is, do we love Jesus so much that if we didn't talk about him, we'd die? When was the last time we talked about Jesus? When was the last time we just thought, I've got to share my faith? When was the last time maybe you were doing devotions in a coffee shop and somebody looked at your Bible and you felt the prompt, like, hey, did you notice I'm reading my Bible? Do you know Jesus? Do you, can I tell you why I'm reading my Bible in Caribou or Starbucks? Why I'm doing it? Do we, is it just in us that we, we have to talk about Jesus? It's just, it should be there, and I'm concerned about us, I'm concerned about our church as we continue to grow and fill room after room after room and location after location, but I don't ever want us to stop and lose our hunger to talk about Jesus. I don't ever want us to lose the hunger. I don't ever want us to, to stop this because here's the thing. Studies have shown that the average Christian, the average Christian will lose their passion to share their faith within two years of conversion. They'll give their life to Jesus. Then they'll go tell everyone they know about Jesus. Then all of a sudden, something will happen. They'll switch to stop where they stop talking about Jesus. And here's the sad thing. They start to love the amenities of the church. We start to love our life groups and our life teams and the uh, wonderful music and the kids area and the uh, complimentary donuts or bagels in the lobby and the coffee and the, and the picnics and the things that happen. And please don't get me wrong. I want you to be involved in all those things. Those are amazing things. But we are never called to love the amenities. We were never called to love that. We can enjoy that, but after a while, we, we can turn into critics and we can you know, critique the sermon. Was that good enough? Was the music good? Who's the new singer? Who's this? And we start to get into a consumer mindset instead of a, I'm on the go team. I'm out there. I'm supposed to be part of the Great Commission going and doing this. And, and again, I love the amenities, but let's not be a church that says, we'll go to church instead of being a church that goes. There's a big difference. There's a big, big difference. Mark 16 is very clear. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I wish I could change that, but I can't. It's true. Yeah. We believe if you, know, you can, if you know Jesus and ask for forgiveness, you have eternal life. If you don't, you're condemned. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's right there. 
It's right there, and we've lost our passion. Don't let it happen. River Valley Church, do not let it happen that we lose our passion. And we've got to share the good news. A lot of people want to share good deeds, and I love good deeds. But we are called to share the good news. We are called to share the message of Jesus Christ and the fact that he saves and forgives. And we're there to share the message that he's the savior of the world. And anyone that calls on his name will be saved. But again, we kind of like, let's do nice. Let's do nice good deeds. And good deeds counts and nice counts. But don't forget, we've got to share the reason why we're nice, why we're doing what we're doing. Now, let me tell you about the Great Commission briefly. It was first coined in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, Scotland, in 1910. I had the opportunity to be there, and I'll, I'll be there again next year. That, it was shared in Edinburgh, Scotland. They actually had a commission where they sent out eight people, and they said, go study what God is doing. We're sending you to kind of go see what God is doing, to go be a missionary, if you will, to go see what God's doing, bring the, the great news of, of Jesus Christ, go out there. And when they came back, they said, it's so great. We're so glad that you commissioned us to go do that. God's doing amazing thing. It's so great. We're so glad that you commissioned us to do this study. It's so great. After they said great and commissioned so many times, they just said, that's it. It's the Great Commission. That's what Jesus gave us. It was the Great Commission. So it started there in Edinburgh. Now, the first word of the Great Commission is go. And I've shared it before, but that's the name of our kids' ministry. If you're new to the church and you're wondering why is it called Go Kids, because it's a Great Commission word. It's a sending word. It's an action word. And I've said it before. We believe that there are arrows in our hands, and we're sending them towards their destiny in Jesus Christ to go into all the world. A little less than 200 times, the Bible tells us to go. It says, go, go, go. It never says for us to hide. The little song, hide it under a bushel. No, yeah. we're never supposed to hide. Yeah, it's true. 13 times, the Bible tells us to stay. And when it says to stay, it implies you're staying to be charged up again to go. On, yeah. That's it. Stay, gather, get ready, but go gather, go. It's all about the go. So it's about going out and sharing faith and making disciples. And sometimes we make it so hard. How many know that we have a, an ability to make it so hard? Like, well, I don't know. Uh, that sounds kind of hard. I wonder what that, you know, is to do to make disciples. And I love what Leonard Sweet, he's a, a great author and theologian. He says it's simple. The Great Commission is this. As you're being you, as you're being present in your world, make disciples. How many can do that? As you're being you, just make disciples, invite them to church, and pray over a meal, talk about Jesus, talk about grace, invite them to your life group, How eat, bring them in as you're you, right. just being you in your everyday normal life, make disciples. And sometimes they'll ask you, sometimes you got to tell them about it. And I'm going to tell you this, I just want you in your normal everyday life to make disciples. We don't need a program, we don't need to be robots, but we need to be able to share what we believe and why we believe it. How many know that one of the biggest objections that we have to going is we don't know enough? How many know that? Like, you think, oh, I got to go talk to people about Jesus. I don't know. Uh, what if they ask me about the Trinity? I don't know. I have that one figured out. What if, they, I mean, what if they ask me some tricky question that I don't know the answer? And so we're like, I think I need to get ready. And once I'm ready and really set, then I'll go. How many know that God says, go, ready, set? He changes the order. He just like, go. And the best I can tell, the first missionary in the Bible... The first missionary in the Bible was a formerly demon-possessed man with so many demons in him, his name was Legion, and he didn't have any clothes on. 
And if you know the story, Jesus goes, casts the demons out of the guy, gets him some clothes, and the guy says, I want to follow you. I want to I be one of your disciples. He's like, no, I don't want you to come along with me. What I want you to do is go to the cities that only you can go to, the Decapolis, the 10 cities that I won't be able to go to. I want you to go to your hometown and tell them what I've done for you. Are you ready? Go. So if the first missionary, moments before his commissioning, was naked and demon-possessed, how many know you are qualified? All right, you're way ahead of the game as you are clothed, all right. But that's the enemy's trick to keep us in the church, keep us in here, keep us in here, keep us thinking in, and God's like, think out, think out, think out. Go get them. And it's not just us. It happens to all sorts of people over all time. It's an inward creep that happens. Again, remember I said two years, you kind of lose your ability and your desire to share your faith. You start to love the amenities and the church turns inward. Sometimes you wonder, why did that church stop growing? Why did that church stop? Many times, not always, but many times, it's because that inward creep, it becomes about us and what do we want and what do we like and we don't want to be inconvenienced. God help us if that ever becomes River Valley Church. But it happens. There's an inward creep, and I found it in the Bible. In Luke chapter 14, in Luke 14, um, Jesus is at the meal of a prominent Pharisee. He's at this meal with his family and all his network friends. And in Luke 14, it says this in verse 12. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. So here he is at a network dinner where all these people are friends, and like, I'll buy from you, you buy from me. You can see the scenario. And Jesus says, don't do that. Don't invite all the people who can pay you back. That's not how we're supposed to do this in the kingdom of God. He says, when you give a banquet, in verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So he's sharing this. You can imagine at a network lunch with all these people, they're like, who invited Jesus? Why is he ripping on us? Why is he telling us that we can't do this and, and just do the network thing? And, and they're thinking like, you know, somebody change the subject. Somebody lighten, like, take the mic away from Jesus. And it, you would not realize this, but if you know the culture of the day, in Luke 14, verse 15, it says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know this, but knowing the text and knowing the culture, here's what was going on. They're feeling like, oh, man, he's talking about inviting people that can't pay you back. What are we going to do? And one of the guys goes, I'll change the subject. And he goes, hey, blessed are the people that will eat at the feast at the kingdom of God. And basically, he was saying, hey, Aren't we glad we're all Jewish and someday there's going to be a great banquet for us, God's chosen people. Here's to those of us that are here and in the family. And they're like, yes, that's right. God loves us, not those dirty Gentiles out there. And he was saying, here's to us. And we can tell that this breaks Jesus' heart because if you follow in Luke 14, he, he talks about a guy having a banquet and this person having a banquet is symbolic of God the Father. And he talks about God the Father wanting all sorts of people to be there, but people aren't showing up. And so he keeps inviting more people and he says, go to the highways and the byways, compel them to come in, grab them by the arm, get them in. He's saying, the, the host will have, he will have guests at his banquet. He wants a full house. God wants all sorts of people in his church. 
God wants all sorts of people in his family. And, and they're saying, here's to us. Here's to how great we are. And Jesus is like, no, no. God has you in here to get those people out there. He's saying, go get them, go get them, go get them. And this is where you could, you could tell that there must be some intensity because Luke records this for us. And after Luke 14, he goes right into Luke 15 and he, and he writes about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the only account of the prodigal son. And he's like, the lost matter. We are supposed to be part of the search party. If you're part of River Valley Church, welcome to the search party. We are about saying that the host will have guests. The host will have guests. And, and this is no disrespect to Jesus. But if that guy was raising a glass in that moment saying, here's to those of us that are here, I think Jesus raised a glass right after that and said, here's to those not yet here. Here's to those not yet here. Come on, guys, let's go form a search party and say here's to those not yet here. And I believe that God loves a church that makes room for guests. I just love that. I love that we have that type of church. And I would say this to all of our campuses, we have to make room for guests. We have to do this. And um, if your campus has an what I would call an off-hour time for a service, if you want to make room for guests, one of the best things you could do is move to one of those off-hour times. That means you'd get up early knowing that somebody far away from God isn't going to get up early and go to that early service. That means you're going to go to that Saturday night option because you know that that's not the most logical time for people that are looking for a church. And you're saying, you know what? We're going to rearrange our life and do that and make the switch. We're going to go to the time when it's least convenient to make it so convenient for those coming in to find Jesus. We're going to make sure that there's room for them. God loves a church that makes room for guests. And I love the people in our church that live this way. I'll never forget when Jeff Janro at our Faribault campus gave his life to Jesus Christ. He gave his life to Jesus Christ, and the very next day, he brought his family into the office to the pastor. And he's like, hey, talk to them while you talk to me. Get them. You know, like, go ahead, get them. You know? A couple days later, he's like, okay, got some more. Get them. All right. A couple days later, get them. We had a, a, a church social once, and I was like, hey, just tell me, you know, how'd you find out about the church? And like, uh, Jeff. You know, the next person, uh, Jeff. The next person, Jeff. I was like, let me guess, Jeff? You know what I mean? I loved it. Don't ever stop that. Don't ever stop that. Please be a church that is about saying here's to those not yet here. And here's how I know that God loves that type of church. Here's how I know that God loves a church that says our eyes are on your lost sheep. They're on the lost son. They're on the one that's far away from you, God. Here's how I know he loves it because in my own life, I had an experience where I brought Connor to the mall. He was four years old. I brought him to the mall, and we were going to go into the little bouncy house. This was back when it was Camp Snoopy, and we're at the Mall of America. And I was going to put him in the bounce house. He absolutely loved the bounce house. And so I go to take his shoes off of him. And, you know, you know if, if you remember this, if you've ever been to the mall or ever been to a bounce house where you have to do this, I take his shoes off of him. And I go over to the shoe cubby, put his shoes in there. And I turn to tell him, like, he has permission to go into the bounce house. And, and he's not there. So I'm thinking he's in the bounce house. And so I go, oh, that's cool. He's pretty, he's, he's a leader. He's going in, you know, that's good. I look in there, he's not, he's not in the bounce house. So I'm like, where is he? So I'm thinking he's hiding, little hide and seek game. So I'm like, hey, Connor, where you at, buddy? Hey, Connor, Connor. And I like this, is, okay, you can go in the bounce house. It's all good. You can go in. And uh, I can't find him. 
I can't find them. And I'm like thinking, well, I don't want to be that dad. How many know you want to be that dad that lost his kid, right? You know? So I'm like, hey, Connor, buddy. Hey, Connor. I'm kind of raising the voice a little bit. And, uh, but I don't want to freak out yet. He may just be hiding. And uh, then after a couple seconds, I realize he's not hiding. I have no clue where he is. And I start yelling, Connor, Connor. And I'm frantically running around. I'm, I'm, I'm running around the bounce house. I'm, I'm kind of building the circle. And now I don't care if anybody knows that my son is missing. I want to find my lost son. I'm screaming, Connor, Connor. I'm thinking, close down the mall. That's what I'm thinking. And as I'm running around, people would come up to me and they go, where's Connor? What's Connor? I was like, he, he's, he's four years old. He's wearing a green and white flannel shirt. He doesn't have any shoes on. Help me find him. You know, and I'm screaming. So then they're yelling, Connor, Connor. And as they're yelling, you know what's happening? I'm like, I don't even know their name, but I love those people. I love them because they're helping me look for my lost kid. And I can tell you that's how God feels. He's like, I love the people that are helping me look for my lost kid that are shouting their name, that are interested in that. And I can tell you, I was so focused on Connor and God is so focused on his lost kids because at that moment I had lost Connor and never, not once did I ever think this. Well, you know, Logan's at home safe and sound with Becca. You know, one out of two isn't bad. You win some, you lose some, you know. He's safe, you know, let's call it a day, okay? I didn't care that Logan was safe. Connor was lost. And my eyes were on Connor. And all of a sudden, as I'm running around, running around, I'm frantic. Out of the corner corner of my eye, I I see him in that ball pit game in there. And and he's in there throwing balls around. How he got in there, I don't even know. And he's in there. And I go there, Connor, get out of there. And and I I grab him out of that germ-infested ball pit. How many know they shut those all down now? They're gone, they're banned, you know. And is that not a picture of sin? We don't have time to go there. But you are in a germ-infested ball pit and you don't even know how dirty your life really is. And when I get him out of there, I'm like, you know, Hakuna Matata, you know, it's him, Simba, Connor. I mean, I'm holding him above my head and people are high-fiving me and, you know, oh, I sound. And I'm like, don't ever be lost again. If you ever leave your dad, I will beat you. No, I didn't say that. But I kind of felt that, you know, like, don't leave. Do you know who loves you more than anyone in the world? And then I'm like, what do you want? Well, I'm like, do we... We need ice cream. We need to celebrate that which is lost is found. Isn't that a picture of God as well? God's like, I've got blessings for you. I've got something better than ice cream. Thank God you were found and you're part of this. And I believe God's eyes are on his lost children. I believe he loves what happens in church. I believe he loves it, loves it, loves it. When we huddle up, because you got to rest in life. you got to get recharged. But as soon as service is done, he's like, go, 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 go. Here's to those not yet here. Let's make more room. Let's start another campus. Let's do another service. Let's inconvenience ourselves. Let's do this. We are about those that are not yet here. And as we are on the verge of a time where people are very receptive, I'm asking you, River Valley Church, will you do something to try to get people here this fall? This fall, September 13th, 12th and 13th, is what we would call our fall launch. There's a lot of people that live their life according to the school calendar. 
and they're busy and they're just running around doing whatever. But all of a sudden when it comes to the school calendar, their life comes back into order. And many of them are looking for something. They're looking for an answer. They're looking for God. They're looking for hope. They're looking for something. And I'm asking, would you be willing to invite somebody saying, hey, we made room for you. We made room for you. We moved over to another service. We did this. We added a service. We did this. We made room for you. And we're doing a series on heaven and the afterlife. It's very, a lot of people are wondering about that. Hey, we're doing a series, Edge of Heaven, talking about heaven and the afterlife. Love for you to come. That intrigues a lot of people. If you don't think so, just go through the supermarket. How many of all the tabloids are like, is the Antichrist on earth? You know, is this? What is heaven about? Get a glimpse. People are intrigued. After that series, we're doing one called Forgive and Forget, kind of given another opportunity in October about people having the power to forget the things that have hurt them, remember the things that they need to remember. Again, another one. And even our Christmas series this year, three great opportunities. Matter of fact, I think I'm squeezing in there the Wasted series. So it's almost like a fall that is made for you right into winter that you can invite. So it's going uh, edge of heaven. Forgive and forget, wasted, talking about how people waste their lives. I just had this thought, don't wait for your friend, like, oh, he needs the drunk one. We'll wait for that one. Don't do that. Don't do that. Get him out of the ball pit earlier than that. Get him out of that germ-infested ball pit. But then we'll have that one. And then I believe we'll have some type of welcome home, I'll be home for Christmas. We are about God's lost children. That's the heart of our church. We are about, I belong to Jesus. We are about, here's to those not yet here. And I pray that we will never, ever lose that. Let's never, ever, ever lose it. Let's always be about those that are not yet here. So Lord, I just pray right now that you'd help us to grab hold of that. It took a tattoo from my mom to wake me up and to really get this revelation. But she said, I would die if I didn't talk about my Lord and Savior. He's been way too good to me to not talk about it. God, you've been way too good to us for us not to talk about you. We don't need a tattoo, but we need to open our mouth and we need to say, God, we are about your lost children. We are about those that are not yet here. We are about reaching the next one and the next one and the next one. And God, I pray this would just help to define our church. This would define our lives. If you've been good to us, we pray that we'd be good to someone else and let them know about the love of Jesus. I pray that people wouldn't say, I'm not qualified, but they'd realize they're qualified to say, I found Jesus. Let me help you to know him too. Thank you, God. Here's to those not yet here. We think of their names, we think of who they are, and we lift them up before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.